Hello, everyone. This is Pause for Parenting, brought to you by Paradis, Parent Education for Development in Barbados, and this radio station. I'm Cicely Clark Richmond, Director of Paradis. Paradis is a non governmental organization established with the primary goal of addressing the challenges faced by parents and families in Barbados. Assistance is provided through a wide range of programs, which include classes in parenting designed to educate parents in all aspects of child-rearing practices to help them to positively impact the lives of their children. Paradis promotes strong, cohesive family life, which includes working towards life goals, imparting values to promote positive family life, and practicing work-life balance to include entertainment, reading, play, and to bring balance to life. Paradis also provides private and confidential individual and family counseling. These sessions are designed to assist clients to identify the root problems affecting them. Our other flagship program is the Community Outreach Program. We will be happy to assist your organization, be it a school, place of employment, church, community or sports groups, to talk to parents and young adults about parenting. Call us at 427-0212 or email us at admin at paradise.net with your requests. We also offer a parenting class where you can learn how to keep your child involved in positive, wholesome activities. Classes are held on Wednesdays between 4.30 and 6.30 p.m. and Saturdays between 9.30 and 12.30 Today on Pause for Parenting, we're going to look at the role of adults when it comes to protecting children. You don't have to be related to the child. You don't have to know every detail. Once you recognize something is wrong or doesn't look right, we need to do something. To help us understand what we can do and why it is important that we do something is Mrs. Faith Marshall-Harris. Chair of the National Committee for the Monitoring of the Rights of the Child, Vice President of the UNCRC, the United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child, for the Americas and the Caribbean. Mrs. Marshall Harris is currently in Geneva attending a UNCRC meeting, and we thank her very much for taking the time, especially because of the time difference, to talk to us on the phone. Ms. Marshall Harris, welcome to Pause for Parenting once again. It's a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Thank um, you. From Geneva. Yes. And how is the weather there? Uh, you wouldn't like it, I don't <laughs> think. It's pretty cold here, actually. Okay, okay. But it is expected at this time of the year. Right. Okay. Now, but, but I'm wrapped up warmly. <laughs> that is good. We know that you are known not only in Barbados, but across the Caribbean and the world, actually, for working with children, working for children, fighting for their, their rights to protect them and to make sure that, that you know, everything is, is as good as can be when it comes to children. Tell us wh why you have been so committed over the years to this particular cause. Well, um, I think I've always felt this strongly. But I think I also know that I had a Damascus moment okay. when, as magistrate, I presided over the juvenile courts, and I realized that almost every child that came before me 
was there because of what the adults in his life did or did not do. Right. Um, that caused that child to be in a situation where a magistrate was now presiding and treating them as a juvenile offender. Mm-hmm. So that triggered my interest, really, because I began to feel that rather than being an offender, these children were all victims, victims of circumstance, victims of their environment, and victims of the either negligent adults in their lives or those adults in their lives who did not choose to treat them properly, who abused them. Of course, I... That interest also began to be further stimulated because UNICEF took an interest in how I was running my court Mm -hmm. and actually came to visit the court to observe the circle of care that I had um, pioneered there. And the circle of care, which is the name I gave it, is where I invited other important adults in a child's life to come and sit in the court and help me decide what happens to each individual child. So we were a caring circle mm-hmm. that surrounded the children. Very good. Um, so from there, that is how I got very involved and got more and more passionate as time went on. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe the Faith Marshall Harris Sandy Lane Charitable Helpline was established for children to be able to call and to report negative situations, which, whether it was mentally, physically or emotionally. That was happening to them. Mm-hmm. However, we know the fact is that children very often cannot or can't do this because they're fearful. Tell us exactly from your perspective, you know, um, why it was established and how it's been going so far. Well, let me tell you that this idea of a helpline started with me when I was part and I was privileged to be part of the Barbados' delegation in Geneva in 2017 mm-hmm. when we were called upon to present our report on what we were doing for children. Every country that is, has ratified the convention, and by the way, 196 countries have ratified the convention, um, the most of any of the UN conventions. Wow. And every country that ratifies must every five years report to the body that I now belong to, mm-hmm. the UNCRC, on the state of what of the children's nation of the nation's children, mm-hmm. and I was part of that committee of that delegation to the committee in 2017. And one of the things that they kept asking us about is: Are there any helplines in Barbados that children can call and say what is happening to them? That can report the abuse. That, you know, in other words, what what reporting mechanisms we had for children and we had none okay so i came back to barbados after the 2017 exercise and i tried by various means and <laughs> I, I just wouldn't give up to get okay. various organizations bodies government anybody to help to get a helpline started mm-hmm. and eventually i was able to reach out to the sandy lane charitable trust and pitch the idea that we should start a helpline because what I had been doing prior to then was similar, but on an official level where people could call me, but then you needed to know how to, you know, who to call, when to call. So we needed a more formal basis for a helpline. Mm-hmm. And that is where the Sandlane Charitable Trust came up trumps. And 
gave us funding and support and in the, everything you need to, to officially launch a helpline. Okay. Um, Digicel also came on board and various other ent- entities to a lesser extent, but it was mainly through the San Lynn Charitable Trust. Mm-hmm. And that's what, uh, how the helpline was born mm-hmm. in 2018. And one of the I've, I've, it's been a learning process because we've learned a lot of things along the way. Right. But that was the start. Okay. What do you think was perhaps responsible for the little resistance in terms of, you know, children being able to call in and report, you know, situations? Well, one of the things that we did learn, I, I wouldn't say that there was a resistance. It's just that I think in a small country with limited um, finances, there's so many other things that can take priority. Mm-hmm. And one of my missions in life is to keep saying to the state, to, to whoever will listen, that children should be a priority, that we must start, you have to start with them, otherwise you're not going to end right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Because we have to keep making sure that each generation is starting at another level. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mission really is to say to any government, any, you know, whatever shade, that you have to put children at the top of your list of concerns in order to create the kind of nation that you want. Mm-hmm. The but so I wouldn't say it's a resistance though. Our problem is that we tend to focus on a lot of other things. Other things. Yes. The the and then as for the children themselves, we have not created an atmosphere around our children where they speak freely. True. And it's a culture that we've got to be working on. Because I found that with the helpline, despite whatever we did, children themselves were afraid to call. Those few that would call are calling and almost fearful about what you're going to do. Will we? Will you tell anybody we called? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. They they want everything to remain anonymous, and so there's this fear of uh, of, of um, consequences. Mm-hmm. The, you know, so our children are quite fearful when it comes to reporting abuse. I am hopeful that this is beginning to change, but that in this infancy of the helpline, that was our main issue. So what has been happening is, and we have been encouraging it. Okay. We have been saying to adults, wherever you see a child has an issue, be mindful that that child may not be able to do anything about it, so report for them. Mm-hmm. So that is where we get a lot of our information right now. Caring adults, mm-hmm. who, whether it's an observant neighbor, or a caring neighbor, who will ring and say, "This is I observe this child is being treated this way, does not get a proper meal, you know, um, is living in circumstances that are quite abusive, those persons are calling. So I get a lot of calls from grandparents. Very good. Godparents, mm-hmm. neighbors, neighbors, and so on, who call on behalf of children. Mm-hmm. That is great. Now tell us exactly how does mm-hmm. the hotline work in terms of, you know, those who monitor it? Is it 24 hours? How does it work? It is 24 hours. And it works with the grace and generosity of 30 social workers. Now, you may know, and this is again part of the idea was born as well. I was very involved throughout the time I was on the magistrate's uh, bench with 
social workers. And mm -hmm. I got very close to the Barbados um, Public Workers, um, the, sorry, the Professional Social Workers Association. Um, in other words, I would go along to speak to them mm -hmm. and be involved in their activities because I became conscious that we have many, many social workers in Barbados. Now, none of them have graduated from KFIL, but because we have so many and so few opportunities, many of them do not actually work as social workers. They still haven't got that pick to yes. allow them to do their job, do the career that they've chosen. So many of them graduate and then they end up going back to their old job, whether it's in retail or whatever, until waiting for an opportunity to work Work as social workers. However, most of them do belong to their professional association. association. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I encouraged them and I got great assistance from the president, Sharon Rose, um, and I talked to her and out of that was born the, the idea that those social workers volunteer mm -hmm. on the helpline. They give their services freely. So the Telephones rotate amongst them. They have a roster. We have a roster, and they take the telephone, and they're on the they're on the listening end um, for children. Okay. And what they do when they get the calls is that they either do counselling on the spot if that is what is indicated, or what they do is refer the matter to a competent agency, and that agency could be the child care board. It often is the family conflict unit. Mm -hmm or whatever they can, or welfare department, whatever they can do to help. Recently, we've been referring a lot to the Ministry of Education where children have been concerned about the devices and not having devices. So COVID brought its own particular um, concerns. And sometimes our calls are simply needing material help, which is what we also try to provide. So we do, we, we respond as best we can. Mm -hmm. So how do you advertise the hotline? How would a child know, you know, you know, where to call, the number to call, or, you know, adults? Well, pre precisely by what you're doing here for me now. Okay. Because obviously <laughs> one of our problems is uh, that we have our funding. A lot of our funds actually go into what we deliver. That is like, for example, during the lockdowns, mm -hmm. we provided uh, food, we prepared meals. I should say I prepared meals. <laughs> and I, I, I did a feed-in program. Okay. Um, and then we often do care packages through Super, um, Jordan Supermarket to families that we that are identify where the children are in need. Mm -hmm. And and we do that. Okay. So a lot of our funding, as you know, as has been agreed with Sandy Lane um, Charitable Trust, goes directly into the children's hands one way or the other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it doesn't leave a huge budget for advertising. So I do as much um, pitching as I can in public relations and we are now sending out flyers. Okay. We're using social media quite a bit. Okay. Because children are more easily reached by social media. Definitely. So that's how we get ourselves um, known. And we, we have some friends in the media, such as CBC, that occasionally will allow me to 
give the numbers out and encourage people to call us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, how how did the the you mentioned briefly I think in in before in terms of the pandemic and it affects how it affected the or how it's affecting the the the, the hotline and in terms of mm-hmm. responses. Well, we have we have a number of levels of interaction. But if I was to make an overall assessment, um, one, the first effect that was really, you know, quite devastating is the effect it's had on children's education. Yes. And the fact that they, a lot of them don't actually feel as if they're in school for the last two years, despite the online and whatever. Mm-hmm. But let me let me state that the most vulnerable children, the ones that need it most, were least able to access online education. So that created a huge problem. Right. Either it was lack of a device, or where there was a device, it was lack of electricity. Wi-Fi. Or yeah, lack of enough privacy. Ah, okay. To, because that was an issue I think that we don't take on board. I'm speaking of the most vulnerable children. Obviously, you can point to me to those children who are living in homes where there's a little room that they can lock themselves away and, yes. and stay. My, I'm talking about the most vulnerable children, mm-hmm. the one who need actually the mobility that education affords most. Unfortunately, the ones most severely affected. Um, so then there were instances where even if the device was there, the connectivity was there. Literally, the, what was going on around them in terms of somebody quarreling, somebody, you know, mm-hmm. uh, doing various activities around that were very distracting. Of so course. they were not sufficiently online when it came to, to the learning process. That that was the most devastating effect for some children. Of course, there was an issue which um, I became aware of that there seemed to be great abuse. I was just um, about to ask you about that, that in terms of the, yeah. the level and the types of abuse that you've been, you've been you know, receiving the calls from. Yeah, uh, right. I found that that had increased. There was less patience because children were always on the foot. Yes. Adults who had no respite from the children's activity and everybody's nerves were a little bit frayed by having to be in this peculiar situation that was created by um, by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I am beginning to hope that that is beginning to ease a little bit. But uh, for the last 18 months, I would say abuse was a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, literally was not enough outlet and uh, this had an effect. In fact, let me say that the abuse of children also correlated with domestic abuse generally. So it was not just the children, but I found that even as between families in general, there was a tightened uh, level of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, the third thing that happened, of course, is the poverty, the child poverty, in a sense that lots of people lost work. Right. A lot of people were not able to go back to jobs they had and money clearly was tight and children as a result did not have, not always had a, a square meal every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what prompted our investing considerably in the care packages and so on. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So you mentioned that you you get a lot of calls from adults. Are are you satisfied mm-hmm. that um, overall adults are becoming more aware of the need to report something if they they don't necessarily know all the details, but just say something, call. Yes, I think over the my experience over has gradually there's been a gradual awakening of adults to the need to um, protect children. Mm-hmm. It's gradual and probably too gradual for for, <laughs> for me. <laughs> I'm a little you know I want things to move a little faster, yes. but they are moving. Right, they are moving. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a big difference from when I started on this particular journey um, to what it is now. And it's, and it's almost as if some adults are quite relieved to find that there is somebody sure. to talk to about things that are happening, whether it's with their grandchildren or their nieces or nephews or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I would say that, and then one hopes that this, is, is progressive and it's something that is going to take off where adults feel the need to do whatever they can to keep children safe. Do you think that that whole idea that perhaps when, when some, you know, uh, adults see something happening to a child, well, she deserved that because she always, she womanish and she was always this and always that. This is the child we're talking about. But the whole perception of, of you know, how, how a child should be behaving and not necessarily in a positive way, and then therefore they will, whatever she gets, you know, she deserves that sort of thing. I've heard, you know, thoughts like that yeah. being expressed on, on, on some occasions. Yes, and that is a feature of our culture, which again, I am trying by every means possible to educate ourselves out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this brings me to one of my um, pet passions, and that is the protection of adolescents, which is a huge problem, not just in Barbados, but across the world, right. because adolescents are so misunderstood, because we do not accept that when, when a child is revolving, and you now have a conflict between probably the, their chronological age, the, the, the physical, physical development, development yes. and, where, where, and where their head is taking them to and where their hormones are going, mm-hmm. everything All is different at a directions, yes. And this leads probably to a lot of probably ill-advised behavior or poor judgment. But the point is that it is a stage of life where adults have to help adolescents through that rather than punish them or misunderstand them. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it is an inevitable sort of dichotomy that's going on. Let me explain what I mean. It is like we're, it is like at various times in the human development, we, we literally have a clash mm-hmm. of different aspects of our, of, of our existence. And that is one of the things that happens to adolescents. They're probably outgrowing. In every sense, yes. you know, their bodies, their, their, their situation, and it, it takes a lot of understanding. Mm-hmm. And they're going to become experimental and they're going to push the envelope and they're going to want to have a voice and they want to, they want to feel as if they've got some sort of personal autonomy as well. Yes. And all of that, I know you're going to say, oh, parents therefore not need to be psychologists <laughs> now, but the thing is that, that that is the hand you've got. You've got to try and read about it, talk to other people about it, 
come to paradise and discuss it and say, but what is going on here? I have this girl here and she's only 14, but she thinks she's a woman and she wants to go <laughs> and she wants to dress like this. And some, they've got to, you've got to talk through this a, a, um, situation, situation and try to, to find yes. some solutions. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Our our time is is going. I I want you to just wrap it up in terms of again reminding adults their responsibility to when they say when they see something to say something. Um, encourage mm-hmm. children that may be listening as well that there is somebody that they they can talk to on the end of a phone. Um and. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the the hotline itself, just to give it some more plugs so that, you know, we can continue to help our children. Yeah, and I want to give you the telephone numbers for the hotline. Sure. They're 266-3644 and 832-3644 and 537-3644. 266-3644. 832-3644-537-3644. We actually can be reached um, by, by email as well. Oh, um, great. Child Helpline, child helpline dot Barbados at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And that we are encouraging people to talk to us about children and make sure they don't suffer anything and that we always act in their best interests because that way we will create and continue to have a great nation. Definitely. Ms. Faith Marshall Harris, I thank you so much for taking the time out. I know it's cold in Switzerland. I wish I was there with you. (laughs) Um, But just just give us a little sneak description of what's happening in the meeting, the importance of this meeting and you being there. We meet every four months for our sessions, which would last about four to five weeks or sometimes a little longer. And at these sessions, what we do is we're taking the reports from various countries around the world about telling us what they've done for their children. In other words, what are new laws, what are new welfare situations, how have they developed their child protection and, and act in the best interest of their children. Right now, of course, we are very focused on here what have you done for children in terms of Mm COVID-19 and so this time around we looked at the children of Madagascar we looked at the children of Netherlands unfortunately some of the countries that we had to look at this time could not come because again the Omicron uh, variant intervened and in the case of of, uh, one or two of them uh, we have climatic events this is another thing that we're focusing on the fact that the environment is wreaking havoc on on children's lives around the world Um, and, and usually this is in the countries who have done the least for Lutein who are suffering. So we, we look at children in Afghanistan and what's happening with them, the children of Myanmar, wherever, apart from the countries we are actually looking at, we also focus on wherever there's a hot spot, there's trouble with, the, with children. We look at it, we issue statements, we, we try to urge state parties to do better. Yes. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. And we look forward to having you back here with us very soon. Thank you so much for this opportunity. No problem. Take care. We hope that as you listened to this broadcast, you have benefited in some way and feel motivated to apply the information to your parenting experience. Once again, we at Paradise thank you for listening to Pause for Parenting. Remember, parenting is all-encompassing. 
parents are their children's first and foremost teachers, guidance counselors, and nurturers. You are responsible for guiding and nurturing all aspects of your child's development, including their cognitive and educational development, as well as their social skills and emotional thinking. I leave you with these words of encouragement. Children are a gift from the Lord, a heritage and a reward, and are not to be seen as burdens. So train your child in the way that he or she should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I wish you a blessed and productive week ahead. Music